fans, and welcome to the CU Insight Network podcast. My name is Lauren Culp. I'm the president and CEO at CUinsight.com. And it's my job on this show to have conversations with all of the thought leaders who are out there to support the credit union community. Together, we get to identify those issues that are affecting our industry and talk about all of the best practices that exist to learn from one another and improve our own credit unions. My guest on today's show is a return guest. I am so excited to have him back. It's always a great time. Tony Hernandez, the president and CEO at the Defense Credit Union Council, is here with me. Tony, thanks so much for taking the time. Well, thank you, Lauren. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, I know we saw each other at the DCUC annual conference and we don't get a chance to talk much. So I was thrilled with you bringing me back on the show just to chat some more and then really, you know, and hopefully, you know, make a difference uh, for our industry. So thanks for having me on the show. Tony, you have just been everywhere over the last couple of years. It's been so cool to see what you have done with DCUC and where you have brought it. You were on the show a couple of years ago. It was actually episode 22. And uh, we're so excited to have you back on. But that episode, that was back in 2021. And we chatted quite a bit back then about legislation related to the military and to veterans and the important work that credit unions can really do to serve the folks who serve our country. In that time, so it's been a couple of years, has anything changed in the landscape for defense credit unions since our last episode? Well, not so much for defense credit unions. We're always doing things on behalf of our military and our and our veterans. So that's always you know good to see. But I think what's changed for DCUC is we've moved more into the veteran market. We're not forgetting that, you know, our active duty military. But that's an important market because it touches every credit union in, in the country. You know, uh, the, the active duty military market is about 2 million people all at one time because that's what the end strength is in the National Defense Authorization Act. But those people uh, that are in the military either separate or retire, and so they become veterans. And right now, there's 18 million veterans in the United States. And what, like I was saying at our annual conference, every zip code has a veteran inside its zip code. And since every zip code has a veteran, that means every credit union probably has one or two veterans in their field of membership. And so we recognize that. And so the change in DCUC is, I don't want to use the word pivot, but we're pivoting a lot of our, some of our focus on the veteran issues, but not forgetting our roots where we came from with the active duty. And that's exciting because there's a lot of things in the veteran market we can talk about, whether it's the Veteran Benefits Banking Program, which allows for free checking accounts for veterans, and then financial education. We just came out with a Veteran Benefits Guide because, you know, I'm a retired Air Force veteran of 25 years, and there's veteran benefits that I'm not even aware of. You know, and I talked to my uh, my good friend at, at the Veteran Benefits Administration, you know, one of the two branches inside the uh, VA, and he's like, Tony, I work here and I don't know all the veteran benefits. And so we want to put together a guide to kind of lay it all out. And you can get that on our website for free. It's just at, at dcuc.org. And that's just going to be very important for educating people. It's a great resource for credit unions to tap into both the Veteran Benefit Banking Program and the Veteran Benefits Guide, because that's something you can offer to your veteran members and it's free. You know, which marketing uh, executive doesn't want to do something for free, especially with Veterans Day coming up in the next couple of weeks, you know, on, on uh, November 11th. So we're pretty excited about the landscape that we see in front of us and then DCUC assertively moving into that space. You know, and a lot of that is just being able to speak military. And I think we'll talk about that a little bit later if, you know, if you want. But I hope that answered your question. 
It sure did. It's so cool. And we'll link to uh, that veterans guide that you're talking about here so that if anyone is interested, they will see that right in the show notes. Tony, for those who may not have heard our prior episode, we talked so much about DCUC, who you are, where you add value for the industry. But can you give us the quick summary or the elevator pitch of what DCUC really does for the industry? Okay. Well, you know, you know, a lot. It's a mouthful, right? That's why we have the four letters instead. <laughs> you know, it, it's Defense Credit Union Council, and, and you know, we started off as a CUNA council. That's why we have council as a in our last name. And we started out just representing military credit unions that were located on installations because there's a lot of additional regulations and, and uh, procedures that a uh, defense credit union has to follow in serving our military on military installations. So you think NCUA exams are bad. There's all this other stuff you have to comply with as a defense credit union. And it's, it's a special calling. You know, some of the things that DCUC has played have had an impact on the industry. You know, we could talk about that uh you know, a little bit later as well. But, you know, kind of what I said earlier about how do we speak military or how do we speak veteran and really providing a resource for the rest of the industry on how to serve our veterans. You know, these are people that wore our nation's cloth, that served their country. And some come back wounded. Uh, some don't come back at all, leave families behind. Some come back with some uh, post-traumatic stress, you know. And so how do we take care of our veterans and really, how do we just say thank you? And so we we see ourselves as the trusted resource for defense and veteran issues uh, in the United States as it pertains to credit union membership. So that's kind of you know, DCUC. I know that was a quick, probably a long elevator, but I think <laughs> I put all floors on that one. <laughs> I love it. And Tony, you mentioned providing maybe the most impactful support and and service for our military and our veteran community. It's a huge community. What is the importance of credit unions really being able to speak military, as you put it? I've heard you say that a couple of times. Why is it so important that credit unions can kind of speak military? And how can DCUC really help them with that? Yeah, well, you know, in the military, there's lots of acronyms, right? And you say, well, you know, you need to show me your DD-214. What's that? <laughs> that that's your ID card that, that tells you you're, you're a retired military. And you see that a lot of, you know, a lot of places uh, if you want your veteran benefits at a particular establishment. So that's like one example, but just understanding the military life cycle, you know, what it means to go through boot camp. Well, what's boot camp? <laughs> you know, well, I think people, if you watch enough movies, you get the idea. But when we talk about separation or retirement, we talk about deployment, you know, uh, uh, combat zone tax exclusion, you know, what all, what all those things mean for a military uh, member's life. But even after that, we talk about disability for veterans and, and talk about uh, the importance of having a will or national burial. All those things are different from the rest of society because of the, the member, the credit union member who served in the military has all those available to me. You talk about uh, post 9-11 GI Bill. What does that mean? You know, so when I say speak military, it's all those things wrapped up together. But even stuff that legally all credit unions are responsible for. You know, the, the Service Member Civil Relief Act and what, what does that imply and how do you validate whether a, one, one of your credit union members qualifies or not? Because in some cases, you have to reduce the uh, interest rate on loans that you may have made to the military member or at least the reservist before they came on active duty. We have a great primer on that. How does the Military Lending Act apply, right? And those are things that apply to all credit unions. If you have a, uh, a covered borrower in your field of membership and so... We always say, you know, if you're not our member, give us a call. We'd be happy to help you. But 
We would love to have you as a member too, because we do provide a, a great benefit in serving our military and veterans all around the world. And so that's when I say we speak military. That's what that's what that means. It's interesting because, you know, when we last spoke too, we talked about legislation like the Military Lending Act that was designed to support the military. Well, two years later, here we are. And it seems like sometimes really well-intentioned measures can have some unintended or adverse effects that reach beyond the military community too. One of the pieces of legislation introduced was the Veterans and Consumers Fair Credit Act. I don't know if it's still currently being considered, but I'm I'm really curious to hear your perspective about legislation like this and, and what the impact can be. Well, you know, we at DCUC signed on with the original Military Lending Act, and that was to prevent, that was back in 2005, 2006, uh, that was to prevent predatory lending practices to vulnerable military members. Because when you're in the military, you have, you know, especially as a junior member, whether enlisted or officer, you got a lot of things other than, you know, the terms of your loan to think about. And so uh, you'll just sign. The military people are are targets for all kinds of predatory lenders because they get the, they have a guaranteed paycheck every two weeks and, and, and it's steady. And so, uh, you know, military members are going to get paid. So a lot of predatory lenders, you know, like to come and do that. So we were happy with the initial uh, Military Lending Act in 2015. We saw some more regulations get added or amended the Military Lending Act, some which were good, some which just had some unintended consequences. And one was a guaranteed asset protection or GAP, you know, waiver coverage on on auto loans. What GAP essentially is, is credit insurance on on your vehicle. And so if your car is is totaled in an accident, if a natural disaster like a you know a, a wildfire or an earthquake or a, or a hurricane uh, damages your car, you know you have that protection. Or if your car is stolen, because that damage in an accident. Either way, when your car is totaled, the insurance will only cover the current value of your car. And as soon as you drive off the car lot, um, your car loses value. Um, but you still got this loan value that you have to pay. And so what GAP does, I like I like the acronym, you know GAP GAP. Because it's the gap between what your car is worth and what you owe. It's very important at the beginning part of the loan because that's when you see the largest gap in it. Over time, uh, they they sort of even out. There was a reason for it because a lot of auto dealers were charging like $1,200 for a gap product. Wow. Uh, It was was high. And and it, it was abusive. I think the right amount is between three and four hundred dollars, and you could you could put that into your loan. But you know, DoD uh, sort of overreacted and said no gap at all, and it sounded good. Except you still have military members that were having their cars totaled and didn't have the means to pay to, to pay off the balance of a loan. And now you're starting to talk uh, financial harm because they're going to go get. They still got to buy a family vehicle, and guess guess who we're pushing them into the arms of is the exact lenders that the law was intended to prevent. And so when we talk about the Veterans and Consumers Fair Credit Act, that was taking the same restrictions to the rest of the American society. And that's bad because now, you know, it's bad enough that we're discriminating against military and they couldn't get these products. But now we want to make everybody uh, not be able to get a credit product at the time of sale. And I think that was a distinction, too, because you can always buy GAP after the sale and separate from the loan. But who has, you know, three or four hundred dollars in their pocket, especially if you're a junior member of the military to go to go pay for gap? How do you even know about it? If you, you know, because once you get the keys to your car, you're gone. You're you've got your wheels and you're going to go live life 
in the fast lane, you know, depending on what kind of car you bought. So it's just, it just makes sense to do that in the, in the showroom. So that hit a lot of the indirect loans that credit unions had. And so, you, you know, you, you couldn't accept indirect loans anymore because, because they usually came with a gap product. I'm just fearful that it created a lot of risk for our military members unnecessarily. What they really needed was more education on what gap was and what, and what, and what a fair price was, which ta-da, our credit unions, uh, credit unions already offer. And so we've been fighting that for a while. It actually got overturned in the federal court. I don't know if you know this, uh, Lauren. It, wow. uh, there was a lawsuit called Davidson versus United Auto Corporation here in the Eastern District of Virginia, right outside D.C. And the plaintiff um, was suing this auto uh, trade association because he felt he was overcharged on GAP. Well, he lost in court. And then DOD and the DOJ uh, signed on you know, as an amicus brief at the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals, and the appeals court upheld it. So now, unless DOD and everybody else goes to the Supreme Court, I think the gap issue is going away. But we're fighting that in the state of California because California enacted their own law where it wasn't just gap products. It was all credit products just for military members. And so... If you're buying a refrigerator, you can't buy the credit insurance on that refrigerator. And, and again, I'm, I'm concerned because you create the same problems on a wider variety of products and you're only discriminating against military. So, um, sorry for the long uh, explanation, but yeah, DCUC has been at the heart of that discussion, met at the White House several times, worked with Congress, now working in the state of California to try to make things better for our military members. It is really interesting when you, you know, that sounds like there's so much well-intentioned purpose behind some of the legislation and then, and then the reality kind of falls short a little bit or a lot bit. And I know the DOD's overseas military banking contract is undergoing some changes too. What do credit unions need to know there and, and how could that impact credit unions serving our military and veteran communities overseas as well as the industry as a whole? Well, first off, we already have credit unions overseas that serve our men and women, you know, and their families that are stationed thousands of miles across oceans where they don't know anybody. And we already have credit unions on military installations that provide the same financial services that they get back here in the States. And then when they go, when they deploy and go into combat or go downrange, again, to speak military, when, when they're downrange, we have credit unions already overseas to to serve these members when they're in harm's way. And so, you know, I wanted to dispel the myth that since Bank of America is leaving the overseas market, you know, it's not like there's nobody there. We already have credit unions. The difference is, is that our credit unions that are there operate without a contract. And so that's what's creating a lot of the, uh, I'll just call it controversy overseas is because, you know, now you'd have a credit union that bid on a contract that would be operating with a government contract at a guaranteed profit versus everybody else that's been over there for decades that has to do it at their own expense. And so that's kind of the crux of the controversy. What we also learned was that operating the contract means you can't, at least in the credit union world, you don't qualify for share insurance. And that's a quirk the way the contract is set up because you got to keep your, your customers separate from their normal customer base or in credit union terms, the bank customers are separate from the credit union customers. And because they're bank customers, share insurance can't be extended to uh, those bank customers. You know, and in some cases, there is no credit union. All you would have is this, this community bank 
And so members would be forced to do their banking without a basic consumer protection vehicle, Mm. otherwise known as deposit insurance. And that's huge, especially after the Silicon Valley Bank and the signature bank failures that happened last spring and all the emphasis on is my is my deposit safe? Why would you want to uh, start a contract that had no federal deposit insurance for our most vulnerable Americans who are overseas and in harm's way? And so we're all over that. You know, trying to explain, you know, why a credit union couldn't get it is, is simple. These are non-members. And in credit union language, the share insurance doesn't extend to non-members. You know, uh, that's pretty basic. And, and that's what we've been uh, pointing out to DOD, who doesn't understand credit union laws as they differ from banking laws, and working with the NCUA on that. So those are the issues kind of in a nutshell. It, it gets a little more complex than that when we talk about one bank and one credit union policy, talk about field of membership concerns, and we talk about foreign currency exchanges. There's a lot of other issues associated with this. And that's why, you know, we're fighting for our members because it's, it's a lot different in the overseas environment than it is back here in the States. And so, you know, I think when credit unions look at it, they go, well, why is that a problem? Well, it's because it's overseas and it's on a military base. And there's a lot other regulations that people need to be aware of. And so I think we're doing a good job of explaining that in various uh, news articles, our alert magazine that, that DCUC puts out once a quarter. And then everything else that, that you may or may not may have read on, on LinkedIn or, or wherever else. So we're educating the industry. The biggest thing we're worried about, though, is does this open up credit unions to taxation? Mm-hmm. And that's that's up for debate, but it's a real issue. So, you know, you'll, you'll see more talking points on that. I think I think immediately is taking care of the share insurance or the deposit insurance. I don't think that's going to result in a credit union um, keeping this contract. Because you have banks that already have FDIC insurance and they're already allowed to operate overseas. So if DOD can tweak the contract enough so the bank will bid, then, then I think we'll be uh, taking care of our members where there is no credit union. You know, one of our recommendations is just downscope the contract, save the taxpayer some money because we already have credit unions overseas. I hope that make that sound a little simpler than what you may be reading, but those are the two main issues is the way the contract is structured and that you have non-members. And then you have share insurance, which can't be extended to, to non-members. And what you have is a catch-22, meaning that a credit union probably isn't ineligible to run this contract. From what I'm hearing, Tony, it sounds like there is no shortage of uh, work for DCUC <laughs> right now <laughs> and no shortage of advocacy issues. As the world is changing around us and things continue to sort of pop up here and there at the national or the state level, what is DCUC's focus for the road ahead? As you as you kind of look out to what we might be seeing next year, what are you really focusing on? Well, you kind of hit on it, right? Because right now, I'm the chief advocacy officer for Defense Credit Union Council, and I still got council business to run, right, as a CEO. And so I think one of the changes you're going to see real soon is we are going to hire a chief advocacy officer to handle everything we've been dealing with, whether it's Military Lending Act and advocating the state of California, uh, educating every, you know, DOD and, uh, and the rest of our industry on, you know, what, what the implications are for the overseas military banking contract, working on a veteran business lending, you know, bill that actually gained a house supporter yesterday. So, you know, what does that mean? 
I can't do all those things by myself. And so I think the time has come for DCUC to grow a little bit more and hire a chief advocacy officer. And so, you know, my board is meeting, they're, they're behind us a hundred percent. And so uh, I'd be on the lookout for that. And that's kind of exciting because DCUC is just getting bigger. We see the military voice in our industry as an important voice that needs, needs to be heard. And, and so how do we, how do we do that more effectively? I know one way is coming on this show and talking to your listeners. <laughs> so I see your insights been 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 awesome in that respect. <laughs> well, we just love the chance to support the amazing work that the Defense Credit Union Council is doing that you, Tony, are doing, and really exciting news about a chief advocacy officer on the horizon. Hopefully, we'll have them on the show at some yeah. point soon. As we wrap up the conversation today, and I, I feel like I could talk to you for hours, but as we wrap up for, for this episode, we always like to have some fun with the rapid fire questions to let our listeners get to know you a little bit better. This the, is the part I always fear the most, right? <laughs> <laughs> the questions are rapid, but your answers don't have to be. So if you're ready, Tony, I'll dive in. <laughs> fire away, Lauren. All right. <laughs> Who is someone in your life that was a great leader and what makes them great? Well, the two ladies in my life, you know, first my mother and then my wife, you got to say that, right? They're leaders in their own rights. You know, hats off to my mom, hats off to, to Jennifer for doing great things. In my professional life, in, you know, big part of my life so far was in the military. And I have to say General Robin Rand, you know, he was at the DCUC conference and spoke from stage, but he was my wing commander when I was one of those overseas people uh, stationed in Korea. And he was a colonel then. He retired as a four-star general. I was a new new major in the Air Force, and I retired as a colonel. But it was just great having someone that could point out my flaws, build me up, and then uh, help me inspire other airmen and just follow his lead. So that was always pretty good as well. So, yeah, I would, I would say those three people in all phases of my life, from early childhood and with my mother, which also meant my grandmother uh, on both sides, and then my wife, who's been strong with me all throughout, and she still gives me needed advice on whether I want it or not, but I probably need it. Um, and that's always been good. And then, of course, professionally, uh, you know, with General Robin Rand. I have had the pleasure of meeting Jennifer, and she is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Such good answers here. All right, Tony, if you're going to splurge on something, you want to treat yourself, what is something you might invest a little bit into, whether it's time or resources? You know, I like to travel. I like traveling with Jennifer. If you've ever seen Jennifer's Facebook, uh, she has the many faces of Jennifer. And that's where <laughs> yeah, she doesn't want to take a picture. But so we'll go find a magazine with a, with a full face picture and I'll put that in front of her. <laughs> and that's our picture. And it's just kind of fun because she'll put where we're traveling to and some of the things we're doing. And I love to spend a little extra time, whether it's at a DCUC conference or a credit union industry event, you know, to go do something on our own. So I, I like to travel and do things with Jennifer. And it's always fun to take a few extra days and do that. But yeah, if you look at her, at her Facebook, you can find the funny pictures. And sometimes I'll pose uh, for them or sometimes I won't. But it's just it's just a fun thing that we like to do. I like it. That's awesome. Well, that leads really well into our next question. You travel a lot for work too. Sounds like you travel some uh, on the personal side too, but what is that city that you are the most excited to visit? If, if you see a conference coming up and there's this one city that you would love it to be at, what is that city? Well, we like to go to warm places, right? 
You know, and so, uh, you know, we had our conference two years ago in Naples, Florida. That just seems to be a really nice place right there on the Gulf Coast. Uh, we're heading out to Dana Point for the Accuel Conference, you know, and, and Orange County, California is a, is a great place because it's warm and it's on the Pacific side. But, uh, you know, there's other places, too. The Pacific Northwest is beautiful. Mm-hmm. New Hampshire is gorgeous in, in the fall when you head up to Maine and New Hampshire. So Portsmouth and then the Maine coast is really nice. You know, we, we like doing those things. I like coming to, you know, see our, see our credit unions in the Midwest. Hawaii is always nice. So I don't know. I guess it was what city I'm most excited for. You know, I, I got to say there's a lot of different cities, you know, and it just depends on the time of year and what Jennifer and I are, are hoping to do. You know, and that's why we spread our conferences all over the country. So yeah, we get to do that as well. That is so true. Well, uh, event planners take note. Tony would really like the sunshine. <laughs> Wherever it is. <laughs> Warm weather. <laughs> right. <laughs> I love it. Well, what is a book that you think just everybody should read? Well, you know, I get this question a lot when I'm when I'm with the crashers. And as you know, DCUC has a uh, an excellent crasher program. You know, that's how I met you uh, yeah. when you were when you were running that. And I always get asked about the book recommendations. And so if you're a crasher listening to this, I'm not going to tell you the three books I always recommend because you should know them already. But I'm going to put a new one on there. If you're at our conference, we had a uh, we had an artist. I've never had an artist at a DCUC conference, especially at being a defense or military you know conference. You're thinking, what am I going to do with an artist? You know, and this guy paints on stage. And I'll tell you what, it's probably one of the more emotional uh, uh, presentations we had. And the artist, Eric Wall, uh, was fantastic. He paints upside down and there's some videos and music. And then, he, you know, when he turns around and we kind of go, wow, you know, that was pretty cool. But he has a story to tell. But one of his things, and he, and he has a book out called Unthink. And the subtitle is Rediscover Your Creative Genius. And it's by Eric Wall, E-R-I-K, Eric, and then Wall, W-A-H-L. And it's called Unthink. And it's just a great book about... Uh, you know, rediscovering yourselves. I mean, one of the stories he tells is, you know, on stage was uh, going back to getting a brand new box of crayons and what kind of potential does that have? Aside from the from the wonderful smells from having a fresh box of crayons, uh, brings back a lot of memories. But you sort of look at the world through the possibility of art and creative genius just from a simple box of crayons and a blank sheet of paper. What could you create? You know, and I remember... You know, uh, Harold and the Purple Crayon, if you ever read those stories, and what could you do if you had a purple crayon and can draw things? So I really like the book. I highly recommend it to people. And if you were at our DCC annual conference, you got to meet and see Eric's presentation. But he's got a great message. And I think that's a that's a new book on my list that I'm recommending people read. We will link to that in the show notes here and to Harold and the Purple Crayon. Great book. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. (laughs) That is one we haven't had uh, linked before, Harold and the Purple Crayon. It's a new one. Yeah, it's a whole series, right? And and he just, I think it's Harold and the Purple Crayon. You draw draw with with a Purple Crayon. And if you had a Purple Crayon and can draw things, what would you draw? Yes, I love it. It is... uh, one of those books that's not just for kids, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> for the adults, too. <laughs> right. Awesome. Well, what has been your best hack for creating what we would call maybe balance and integration between your work life and your personal life or your life life? My life life. I like that. <laughs> you know, yeah, I guess, I guess for me, I, I really like dot journalism. 
if you ask Jennifer, she's like, yeah, Tony has way too many journals and I never write to them and stuff. But I have start taking up you know dot journaling. Uh, it helps me see you know what I'm I'm, doing. I'm keeping a journal on how much sleep I get, a journal, you know also how much exercise I'm getting, you know a little bit of uh, how did it go or how am I feeling today, and it's just been kind of good to review that you know just see where I'm at you know and of course I use my uh, my watch you know that, that's hooked to my phone helps track my sleep. Uh, I have a Samsung watch, it, you know so those types of things just sort of help. And, and what I like about dot journals is it's not a pre-approved form. You do whatever you want. So you'll probably follow it. And if you just take the time and design your own your own system, then it's something you created, um, not having to fit into somebody else's idea of how you should organize your day. It's just a blank page and the dots help you keep everything sort of organized. Again, it gets back to that uh, unthink and using your creative genius. You can do different colored markers or pens, put stickers in it, you know, uh, paste pictures. Whatever goes in your journal, that's going to help you lead. So, you know, when I talk about pictures, maybe it's a fitness picture and I want to look like that in three months, you know, or I want to buy, I want to run. Here's a picture of a runner, whatever it, whatever it needs. And the, and, and the sky's the limit. I just found dot journalism to be, uh, to be very helpful for my life, life and my work life. I like it. That is a really unique. A hobby that I have not heard of a lot of folks using, but I've heard of dot journalism and it is a really cool, uh, cool thing. So we'll link to a dot journal maybe here in the show notes as well. So folks can, <laughs> that looks like, but Tony, we're going to link to just everything we talked about in the show notes. But my last question for you is, do you have any final thoughts you'd like to share or final asks of our listeners today? Yeah. You know, going back to veterans, you know, especially with veteran days coming up, Believe it or not, when you say thank you to a veteran, it really means something, especially Vietnam veterans. Um, and so we have Veterans Day coming up on November 11th. Thank a veteran. Thank him for their services. And that's just simple. And that means a whole lot, you know. And then when we get to Veterans Day, you just take some time and think about what that, what that implies and, and how that applies to the freedoms we enjoy, the freedoms we still fight for and what it means to be an American citizen. You know, there's a lot of polarization in our politics, a lot of disagreements. But I think the one thing we can all agree on is that we do enjoy freedoms. And uh, uh, the proof of that is, is that everybody fights for their freedom, right? Whether, whether we're on similar sides of a political issue or not, I think the fact is that we're able to do that in a free country means a lot. So when you see a veteran, Thank a veteran. And then, uh, I always like to credit you, know, you know, you know, be good, do good, right? That's always a, that goes back to kindergarten and that's people helping people, all those things all together. I mean, it's just, it's just a great movement. Uh, I'm proud to be part of the credit union movement, proud to be part of DCUC. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm just happy every day. Uh, I get to do what I get to do and hopefully make a difference, you know, for our industry and for our military as, as they join and succeed with credit unions. I'll do my Forrest Gump. That's all I have to say about that. What a perfect way to uh, wrap up the show. Tony, it is always such a pleasure to get to chat with you and hear about uh, the many, many things that are on your plate right now. Can't wait to see the the news about a chief advocacy officer coming soon. But (laughs) instead, I hope you stay well. And thanks so much for taking the time today. Thank you, Lauren. And again, it's a pleasure talking with you. Awesome. And thank you to all of our listeners today for tuning into the CU Insight Network podcast. And we will be back again next time.